0: Welcome to Royal Holloway Students' Union Podcast, the podcast where we take you behind the scenes of the Students' Union to give you an inside view on everything that goes on here at RHSU. This is our fourth episode in our podcast series, so welcome, thank you so much for listening. My name is Kate Roberts and I'm the President of the Students' Union and I will be hosting today. I'm really lucky to be joined by some very special guests for today's episode where we'll be talking all things Academic Rep Conference, which is being run across this week. But before we get into it, let me hand over to our guest to give you an introduction.
1: Thanks, Kate. I'm Alyssa, the Vice President of Education for the Students' Union, and my main role is to represent students' academic interests. Hi, my name is Maya,
2: um, and I'm currently a third year studying English and music, um, and I'm
3: school rep for the School of Performing and Digital Arts. And Hi, I'm Ellie. I'm a third year physics student, and I'm a school rep for EPMS. First, Academic Rep Conference. Alyssa, tell us what
0: Academic Rep Conference is and what it's all about.
1: Sure, Academic Rep Conference is a really good opportunity for students to get involved in some of the plans that the SU and the university have going forward, but also to gain a further understanding about the wider higher education context as a whole and, and some of the key debates that are going on there. So we have some three key events planned throughout the week. Uh, The first is on Tuesday and it's a debate around tuition fees and we're really lucky to have a guest speaker, Jim Dickinson, come in and he has a really wide range of experience in the higher education sector as a whole. So this will be a really good conversation to have with him around who's responsible for tuition fees, why are students being made to pay so much, especially in a year of Covid when things have been so limited. Um, so that should be fab. And then on Wednesday, one till two p- p.m., we have a joint honors focus group, and this ties into some of the plans that we have at the SU this year, which is co- is to conduct a joint honors student insight report to increase representation of those students and to improve the support that they have, as it has become apparent that there is quite a lot of um, issues and complexities faced with those doing a joint honors program. And then on Thursday, we have a BAME student experience workshop to really gain an understanding of what students under the the general BAME umbrella, even though these do vary massively, um, what they want to see embedded in the Royal Holloway community, both academically and their wider student experience. And then throughout the week as well, we're just going to be doing a bit of work around rep recognition, recognising the amazing work that some of our reps have done this year, um, but overall, these events are open for everyone. Although it is called Academic Rep Conference, you don't have to be a rep to be involved.
0: We're really lucky today to be joined by two of our fantastic school reps who are gonna tell us a bit more about some of the sessions that we're running. Uh, so the first session is a workshop around joint honours students. Alyssa, do you wanna say a little bit about the workshop itself?
1: This workshop will take in place. Will be taking place Wednesday, um, one till 2 p.m. And it's basically to get some feedback from joint honours students around how they find their course, um, key areas such as communication, um, assessment, bunching, uh, ways they that they can be supported further throughout their studies because it can be very difficult when for example Maya says she's in music and english two completely different subjects and trying to navigate your assessments and various other things can be quite challenging um so really it's just an opportunity to get feedback from students and input that into some further work that we're doing at the su <laughs> Joint honours students have
0: traditionally been underrepresented as a cohort at Royal Holloway. So why is it important that we have a conversation about the joint honours student experience?
2: Um, I think it's important because joint honours students definitely face unique problems that aren't faced by single honours students. I think these issues can sometimes fall through the cracks um, because we don't necessarily have staff members say that are based in two departments and know all of the intricacies of you know all of the pathways because there are so many pathways. Um, and I think there can sometimes be an imbalance of the support that Joint Honours students receive from their personal tutors, say, and perhaps leaving them with you know, one subject that they're maybe less confident in. Um, but I also think it's important to chat to these students because I think we have a unique insight on what it's like to study at Holloway, um, because we can compare different departments and schools even. Um, And sometimes this year when I've been talking to lecturers and they've been asking about maybe like new module proposals or just how they're carrying out things within their modules or department. I've said, oh, you know, in the English department, they do things like this and it works really well. Maybe we could try this in the music department or maybe that's kind of an approach you'd like to take. So I think that comparative outlook is something unique to us. Um, Sounds so special. Unique to us. Um, (laughs) But yeah, and maybe we could use this you know, comparative information and outlook to improve how we do things in each department.
1: Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. And I think as well, we have such a wide range of different joint honours programmes at Royal Holloway. You have a lot of students who take um, PPE or PIR, but you also have small cohorts that take, for example, history and philosophy, um, and they have very different issues associated with each different subject. So I think it's important to get Get an understanding of those issues and complexities um, and really tailor some needs and, and changes to um, each of these different departments and schools. Yeah absolutely that's really interesting.
0: And I think some people might be listening to this and think I'm a Joint Honours student but I didn't really necessarily refer to myself as a Joint Honours student or see that as as a main part of my experience. And it'd be interesting to hear from you
2: what it means to you to be a joint honours student. To me, I think it definitely means, you know, the ability to pursue two areas of interest, but without compromising on depth or detail. You know, you still get the same level of um, depth that a single honours student would. Um, and also being part of two communities and sometimes two schools, and they can be very different than um, what they do. Um, and along with that you do receive double the emails so that is the slight caveat of <laughs> of the joint honors experience but you know it's, it's under the water under the bridge um, and you're also exposed to you know a wide array of, of writing styles and assessment methods um, and approaches to tackling you know works um, but there are also lots of similarities um, between two disciplines sometimes and it's useful finding those connections um, but it's it's such a unique experience because one day you can be you know doing a singing recital and then you know you've got to bash out three thousand words <laughs> um, but yes yeah, it's, it's always it's always different challenges
0: um so my next question is what do you like about being a joint honours student and what are the challenges that you face
2: i think the best thing about being a joint honours student um is there's a really wonderful potential for cross-pollination between your two disciplines um, and even though it may sound they may sound different um, english and music are two very compatible subjects um, so for example last year i studied modernism in english and um, whilst i was doing a debussy and french aesthetics module in music and you know naturally there were so many overlaps um, which gave me a really rich contextual background that maybe stu- students other students would have wouldn't have been able to access perhaps because they hadn't kind of done that English module say Um, and then for example this year I did an English module called the art of noise um, which was all about sound and literature and obviously as soon as I saw that on the options booklet I was like that's me (laughs) um and it was really useful approaching that module as a music student and yes I mean one side of one downside is that there may be modules you want to do but since you have to balance it in, in my case 50 50 it might be you know 75 25 um you might not be able to do everything you want to do but In my opinion, it mainly works in your favor because you can actually cherry pick the exact modules so you're not left with choosing your like eighth half unit and you're going, oh, I don't know, these don't really suit me. Um, And yeah, I mean, I sneakily avoided things I didn't want to do like composition, for instance, which I'm terrible at. Um, But you didn't hear that from me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Mayor and Alyssa. I think it's a really important point because a lot of the students listening will relate to the things that you're saying and the experiences that you've had and think oh if only there's something we could do about that personal tutor situation so hopefully this workshop will be a really important step in sort of helping address some of those challenges and and work with the university to improve them yeah I mean in my degree I took two modules in biology even though I was a geography student and I think being able to just dip into other modules where you want to is a really really important aspect of university life and getting that sort of interdisciplinary approach to what you're doing is a really, really good opportunity. So I would highly recommend that if anyone wants to do so.
4: Um,
0: in terms of like having your academic rep and your school rep hat on, if you could change one thing to improve the experience for joint honours students, what would it be?
2: For me personally, as a joint honor student, I think the most stressful time is when options come out and choosing options for the next year. Um, And this may not be so applicable with you know for instance like physics say you don't really have as much choice as um, a humanities student but that might come with its own intricacies if you're doing like physics and music say because i know that can be quite a problematic combo um, with the options Um, but essentially i think there does need to be more college-wide communication to try and make sure that options booklets and provisional timetables which are super important are released at similar times Uh, because for me you know it's it's all nice and well if the English booklet is released in January or February but then if the music one doesn't come out until a month later you can't actually start even choosing your English options because you need to have like half the picture is missing um, and you need to balance up everything across the two terms and I think there needs to be more consideration in the fact that joint honours students to put a lot more like thought and planning into choosing their options for the next year um because it doesn't you have to work out how they slot in um more than a single student would say Um, so yeah i think i think also you know i had someone in the year above who was doing the same pathway as me um, music and english and she gave me loads of tips and said yeah you need to like plan out your deadlines and think about what you're going to be doing next year because otherwise your options won't work and gave me loads of amazing advice Um, And I think possibly like peer to peer support for joint honours students would be really useful as well, um, because they have that unique outlook um, and can give that advice to you as well. I
1: think it would be assessment deadlines as difficult as it is, um, because some joint honours courses do only have such a small amount of students on, so you can't necessarily cater for them all the time. But it is very stressful having, for example, three history deadlines in a week and two philosophy deadlines in a week, Um, especially because you structure them in different ways and you're changing the reference and styles. So it does ruin the flow in between each one as well. Um, I think part of it is trying to work on your organisation as a university student. And there is that personal responsibility, but that extra support as well. trying to ha- reach out to your personal tutor if you are struggling is very difficult if you don't have one in both disciplines so i think i think that would be the main thing it'd be good to know what students will get out of the session
0: if they come along what they hope to learn like what we hope to learn as an SU and what the next steps following the focus group will be
1: so the plan is to make some detailed notes on sort of information and feedback that these Joint Honours students are given in these focus groups um, and draw up essentially a summary of it all and then this will tie into the Joint Honours Student Insight Report that we're doing which will involve a survey that we send out to students as well encouraging Joint Honours students to fill it out And it will analyse lots of different areas, some that we've mentioned here, such as assessment deadlines and bunching um, communication support available personal tutors. And then a list of recommendations will be compiled from that. And then we'll then present that to the university and ask for a series of responses. And from that, we'll monitor that going forward and see where changes are being made. Um, And we'll also work with departments as well to find out what they're doing to support Joint Honours students further and really keeping students in the loop afterwards as well. I think a big aspect that we're trying to work on in the you know, with the university and the issue is this transparency. Um, so really keeping track of what is being changed as a result of these responses, but also things that need to be worked on further and just discovering the types of joint honors programs that work, but some that just don't. Um, sometimes too much option isn't good. <laughs> um, and some programs just don't work very well. So just trying to figure out some of the complexities involved with joint honours programmes in general.
0: Uh, So the second workshop, which is being run as part of the academic conference is around the Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic Student Experience. Um, So we've got Ellie and Alyssa here to talk to us about this workshop. Um, So my first question I think would be around, obviously we've done some work on the Bain student experience before, they are still underrepresented. There's still an awful long way to go when it comes to this conversation. But why is it important that we have another conversation a following conversation about the BAME student experience next week?
3: Um, I think the really key word there is conversation. Um, You know, having that two way flow of information because sometimes it's it's really easy to just go, this is probably what's affecting those people. Let's work on that and actually forget that there's people behind the information. Um, So I think, you know, constantly getting that kind of feedback loop that positive feedback loop of here's the input here's what we think as well so let's come to some kind of um conclusion as well as the people some kind of conclusion about it all um and actually give you some sort of positive output um I know at the moment a lot of people in in that community feel like they talk a lot and nothing happens so making sure that Like I said, it is two way and that everyone feels like what they've said has been heard and has had a response. I think that'll be really great.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. You have to be careful to strike that balance between not constantly asking for feedback from these students, which can get really tiresome. No one wants to be asked for feedback constantly and see little change, but also ensuring that their voices are being heard and you're not speaking on their behalf without consulting them properly and giving false information. Um, So for this event, we sort of try to split it out into three main categories. So, uh, well-being and support provided for students to try and tackle um, some specific issues that they may face. Academic representation, this can include obviously academic reps, staff representation and um, the topic of decolonising the curriculum. And then the overall student experience, for example, events that are on offer catering facilities and just the general student experience all round so I think the key for this session is really to find out what do you want to see from the university and the SU as well Um, what would you like to be changed to make you feel more more of a community obviously we did the BAME attainment report last year as well and although we did gather a lot of feedback from that it's good to I guess top up that feedback and see what has changed if these views have changed at all um, and, th- and that's really important.
4: Yeah
0: it's, it's a really important conversation and I'm sure it'll be really useful to hear from students about, about this topic. I think one of the things I wanted to ask about was the word BAME itself. Obviously it can be quite an othering term and it makes it quite difficult to understand the nuances of experience within the whole classification of black asian and minority ethnic and um, so it'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts on the term and how we can ensure that all experiences are being represented under
4: this
3: yeah again i think it's it's a really interesting um debate that's going on at the moment because you listen to people from kind of all walks of life and all areas of that community and they've got completely different opinions and that's not even really based on anything that you know you wouldn't say oh oh, black people feel x-way and Asian people feel x-way like it's not as clear-cut as that so I think it's a really really good debate to have um in my opinion I do think it's too much of an umbrella term I think sometimes you can feel like you're lost in this sea of other people you know my experiences of being mixed race are very different to someone who is black or someone who is from India or someone who is from China who anywhere um, different to myself and the same as you know even as simple as being in the, the kind of degree I do it's very different to someone who's in a very different degree who might have more representation um, so it's a really useful term for looking at how um, broadly like diversity is handled and it's really useful in that kind of higher level of thinking but once you get down to well what are the individuals feeling where are these where are these real big issues it really does just affect specific groups in specific places and I think sometimes breaking it down is good but overall in the kind of context we're dealing with it at the moment I think just keeping this like keeping this community safe I suppose is the way to put it and and really prioritising everyone and then once we get to a position where we feel a bit more confident and like we can really start breaking down smaller details um, I think at that point that's when we can start going actually no we're just going to identify issues with the Asian community or the black community or, or so on.
1: Yeah I completely agree with that and I think in creating this event um, I had a few discussions with people on what to call it and I deliberately put it BAME with the quotation marks on the side Um, and there is that acknowledgement there that although it is BAME there's so many different varying experiences Um, I struggle personally with the term students of colour just because previously from I think people that I've grown up with and been around coloured was usually a term that was quite offensive to people Um, but then nowadays some people are more comfortable with the term students of colour so it's really difficult um, to try and get a term where everyone's happy with but equally so when you're trying to represent a group of underrepresented people you have to get that balance between just chucking them under the same umbrella um, and recognising them at the same time it's really hard and I think there's so many different issues, even in the black community has different communities within the black community. And it's the same if you're Asian, I don't really like the term Asian because what are you? Are you, you know, Indian, Pakistani, like any, like so many different ones. Um. So I, I don't necessarily agree with the umbrella term BAME, but I don't also think that there's a necessarily better term
3: out there at the moment actually something that you've just brought to my mind even is that people feel quite um out of place using some other words so for example you know when you say something like black a lot of people feel quite nervous saying it and it's so silly and it's one of those things you can't help you have this mental barrier because you feel like It's a like a negative thing, and it really shouldn't be. You know, when I go around saying, Oh, I'm mixed race, people don't really know how to take it because it's not something necessarily anyone else thinks of. And my fate, you know, my mum's favorite comment to her is, Oh, yeah, blah blah blah, something, but we don't think of you like that because, in my mind, you're not in that community because I've not made that separation. So it's really interesting to when you hear. Um, you know, even for me, I, I don't understand the Asian community struggles, you know, I'm not Asian, so it's hard for me to comment on it. But if I say something like, oh, you know, Chinese people feel X, that's quite, um, I suppose you almost feel guilty for, for segregating that group of people further. It's really strange. It's, it's, and that's why I think, you know, at the moment, BAME is definitely, definitely straightforward, more straightforward at least.
1: No, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's really tricky because you don't want to say something that might potentially offend someone um unintentionally but at the same time you want to use a term that everyone's comfortable with but then you know it's it's really difficult to do that um and I think it's hard as well because you literally cannot compare someone who has an Indian background and perhaps some of the struggles that they face but also their general culture as well there's so many different cultures within this and I think often people will focus on the struggles quite quite rightly um, and the, the inequalities in these underrepresented groups but there also needs to be a recognition of the different cultures within them as well. Yeah absolutely and I think within the higher education sector as a whole there is a massive
0: focus on data and that data is obviously very split under these generic categories that don't necessarily reflect how students feel about their own identity and I think that's quite a difficult and interesting conversation because obviously you need the data to know where the gaps are, to know that you have X percent of a BAME attainment gap. That is a really important issue that we need to focus on and the data helps us in that sense. But it also causes problems when it really does group students that shouldn't be grouped together and doesn't explain to us why that data gap is there and what we can do to address it. So I think it's also important that we have these conversations, as you say, that qualitative understanding of what experienced students are having and how we tackle those so how do we build trust between the university students union and the student body around anti-racism
3: yeah that is quite tricky (laughs) I think it's something that again is going on to that personal level it's about integrating it um, everywhere you know I, I think I spoke about this in a meeting the other day with Alyssa saying that you know I'm the only like mixed race person that I know for one like personally and that um is in my year so my struggles are very different to everyone else um in my my physics degree Um, so when I talk to a personal tutor about it it's quite difficult for them to understand it's not that they don't care and it's not that they don't sympathize it's just that like knowledge gap so I think having it be something that is so prevalent and that everyone knows and that everyone understands would just make those conversations flow a little bit easier rather than me having to sit there and not explain myself but kind of give context and give background every time I want to have the conversation um, that can become quite tiresome I think for a lot of people especially when they do feel very underrepresented not just in their student body but in, in the staff as well um, and I think you know, the the kind of report that came out about BAME students was really, really useful. I just wish that more students had read it. Um, I think that's such, that those kinds of things where you see, like, you know, you say, you talk about data, see, seeing raw numbers and actually having that idea like affirmed that, yeah, there is a problem and we've recognised that there is a problem um, is really, really helpful because you, you kind of start to feel like you've been, you know, you've been listened to and, and that's always lovely.
1: Yeah, it's definitely
3: a difficult one and I don't think that
1: that trust and that community will be built overnight um, and that recognition of that as well because there are so many different issues um whether that's based on actual specific racist incidences culture at the university um, sense of community and just having that togetherness it doesn't happen overnight um and obviously people have different experiences through their lives based on Um, where they grew up, the culture that they grew up in and various different things, so I think it is unreasonable to expect it overnight. But when instances do happen, having that transparency amongst the student population and have them having that trust and faith that something will be done about it, but in order for that to happen, that transparency really needs to be there. And I guess in terms of responses and actions and plans that the university do and even at the SU we can do you know all like so many great things we can lobby for staff the university can have all these plans but if the students don't know about it then how are they expected to have any sort of trust or sense of community um so I think obviously i'm a very big fan of the phrase as you all know communication is key <laughs> um so i think that's the starting point going forward and um,
0: so my next question is also very very broad and um, so happy to hear lots of thoughts on this one but if you could change one thing to improve the experience for black asian and minority ethnic students what would it be
3: i think um, for me, at least, I think a sense of sharing. You know, I grew up in an area that is predominantly white. My, again, my mum, and me are the only people in in the village that, um, that that are you know not white. So I never really got to experience other cultures. Really, like I'm living in the middle of nowhere. So you know, you see you see fields, you see cows. That's about like as much as you're gonna get. Um, so you know, going to university, my biggest kind of goal was to kind of go outside of my comfort zone and explore other kind of cultures and foods and heritage and talk to as many people as I could obviously this year that's been so incredibly difficult but I know loads of societies have really been doing their best um in making sure that that happens but I think an increase in kind of cultural awareness and you know making it more of a commonplace thing instead of having you know um a a month where we have lots of different foods just making it something that is just all the time it's not um like a special event it's something that is so integrated and so you know obvious that no one can really not accept that and not feel like they're part of that whole community I think you know when we talk about communities and things it's always really key to remember that yeah you are part of the the BAME community but you're also part of the student community and that as a wider thing is really fantastic and it's not just um BAME students that have the right to explore other cultures it's everyone and that would just be so amazing i think and so enriching not just on a a personal level but on like a uni-wide level as well
1: yeah i completely agree and i think ellie just did a fab job in in summarizing that i think i would also agree with the culture aspect um so i come from a very much an Indian background um both my parents are and the majority of my family obviously you probably well some people might not be able to tell that um because I am white and so my brother but the rest of my family are brown um so we very much not necessarily grown up in a sh- really strong Indian culture but I think when I started to get a l- little bit older so 17, 18, 19 is something I wanted to explore more and I think Royal Holloway c- and the SU can do some work in expanding um I guess the the culture and different cultures at university, like Ellie said, not having just one month where they switch up the catering facilities, but just you know <laughs> embedding it in in the general university um, and things like just um, things like events and just embedding embedding different cultures from different communities across the university is key because it's fun and it's boring to have everyone being the same all the time and I think one of the things I love about going to London is the different cultures and diversity that you see um, which necessarily isn't necessarily always represented at Royal Holloway sometimes but it's really important because
3: those students are there. Yes uh, sorry as well actually on something Alyssa just said that like that you probably don't think about is the you know the catering facilities and food you know a lot of international students do tend to fall under um the BAME kind of banner again and I know that I've known a few international students who find it really really hard to adjust and that's a that's a whole problem in and of itself (laughs) that's not something I can comment on because I'm not an international student but I'm sure that by you know increasing that kind of integration you're also going to target them so making things that are not just you know we're going to make sure these people feel really great it's that we're going to make sure everyone feels really great together. I think from the SU side as well it's about
0: creating an atmosphere within the students union where all students feel that they're comfortable and safe to be able to raise their views and raise their voices um, and that they will be able to like participate in all of our democracy and all of the activities that we do Um, and it's really important that we do some work to make sure that all students feel comfortable within that space going forward. And um, Alyssa, can you tell us a bit more about what students will get out of the session and what we as an SU hope to learn and what the next steps will be?
1: Yes, thank you. So this session is taking place on Thursday the 4th of March, um, 5 till six thirty. I have two students kindly co-leading the session with me, one of those is Ellie, And we have have another academic rep joining us, which is really great. Um, We're going to do some introductions and then we've got some sort of breakout rooms planned. Don't worry, they're not going to be the dreaded breakout rooms where no one talks. (laughs) Um, We've got some um, jam boards planned. So it will give students that opportunity to sort of get their thoughts down on paper, have some really candid discussions, like I said, about the general student experience, which includes catering facilities, events, various other things, Um, another one for academic based stuff and a third one about well-being and inclusivity services Um, and then after that we'll sort of create a document where all of that is summarised, obviously remaining anonymous at all times, and it'll be really useful to present this to the university and and show it to them. So this is what students want. This is what they want to see to create that more inclusive and diverse environment and hoping to potentially get an an action list as such out of that or some sort of response for them that we can track and feedback to these students because it's all very well us expecting them to give feedback but I think we need to give something back to them and show what's happening with with these comments and and ideas that they're presenting us with and it's obviously important to recognise that now more than ever resources are stretched And it is difficult to sometimes create this change and and implement this feedback straight away. But I think if anything, it's important that we give that reassurance that, for example, realistically X date, Y date, this can happen. Um, And the acknowledgement that their voices are being heard and it's not just, I've given a feedback brush to the side. Um, So I think my main aim out of this is to get some really valuable feedback in a safe space and then get some positive responses from the university, but also to feedback to the SU as well, to improve our diversity. So obviously the first session is
0: around tuition fees and obviously Jim Dickinson is coming to give a talk, which will be really, really interesting. Um, tuition fees is a massively complicated topic, but it's also one that there has been significant discussion about in the media amongst the student body. And obviously there is a greater interest in tuition fee compensation or refunds because university life has changed dramatically over the last 11 months or so and so obviously this debate has been widespread and it remains ongoing but it'd be interesting to have a chat to you about what tuition fees are, where they come from, what they mean in this context and how that context relates to this academic year and what can be done to support students in this area. So I think the first question I have Is around value for money which is a concept that students will hear a lot when we're discussing tuition fees. So what does value for money mean and what does it mean in a tuition fee context?
1: Yeah like you said there's so many complexities again within the tuition fee debate. Um, Under value for money I think it means a different thing for a different student and often students associate value for money also with the student experience that they get in Royal Holloway or any other university obviously something they've massively missed out on this year but under the general tuition fee term student experience isn't something that's that's included in that it's the the actual tuition you receive from academics the lectures the seminars um and various other things yeah i
0: mean obviously value for money is a concept that we throw around in daily life anyway like if you I don't know, bought a pizza from a pizza shop and it just wasn't what was advertised to you, looked nothing like the picture and tasted awful, you wouldn't feel you'd got value for money in what you bought. And I think the same conversation happens around tuition fees, but it's much more complicated. And so this year, obviously, students have not received the same thing that they expected to receive and what was sort of laid out to them on the website as such. And so it's really evident that that experience is fundamentally different, but that value for money aspect is so challenging because tuition fees are paid in such a strange way and the way that tuition fees work in sort of a UK context is very very um, challenging and some students are never going to feel that there is value for money in that because a lot of people believe in the concept of free education and that students shouldn't have to pay tuition fees in the first place Um, but that obviously comes under a government conversation around how things are funded and the different conversations there which I think we'll touch upon in a little bit. So I think to me, value for money in a tuition fee context is around that expectation. It's not potentially around what each pound should be going towards and what you think that every single pound should be spent on. If you're someone that never uses the career service, even though it's there, should you be paying less money than another student because they are using the career service? And I think if we try and break it down into those really, really like small aspects and different parts of the student life, it becomes very complicated. So I think for me, tuition fee, value for money is about that expectation and what students felt they were signing up to when they came to university
1: yeah definitely and I think students will associate value for money with the quality of what they're receiving as well um obviously a lot of it has been online across so many universities this year and some students have faced a lower quality or they they believe they faced a lower um, quality than what it would have been face to face but students would expect obviously if they feel like they've received a lower quality of education then they're not getting their value for money and why should they be paying the same amount as they would in a normal year if they feel like they've had a lower quality of education. Thanks Kate and it'll be really interesting to hear from you on how are tuition fees spent at university.
0: So obviously tuition fees are used to fund a lot of different things at universities. The bulk of the money from tuition fees does go towards academic tuition, so the sort of salaries of your lecturers, all of the sort of support services around academic tuition, um, which is obviously one of the, the key things that you're here at university for, the key part of your education is, is that academic tuition. There's another bit that's then obviously spent on support services, so things like the library, careers, well-being, all of the things that sit around your education and your academic experience and um, tuition fees is also spent on that in terms of the experience of the more social side obviously tuition fees do go slightly into that but much much less a lot of the stuff you do at universities on the social side is something that you would tend to pay for yourself and um, for example if you joined the football club you would obviously have to foot the bill for that yourself even though it might end up being a massive massive part of your university experience um, so the tuition fees are spent on mainly the academic side and the st- support that sits around it um, it is a really interesting thing because universities do pretty much spend that amount of money on each student. Obviously, there are variations between courses and there has been discussion over the last few years in higher education about that variation and whether students should pay different tuition fees depending on the course they're doing, which is a whole other debate and ho- opens up a whole other can of worms. Um, but it is pretty much that amount of money that goes towards what you receive, even though it might not necessarily seem obvious to start with what that money directly correlates to. And so when it comes to universities having the funding to be able to continue delivering all of this education, even though it is online, universities do need that money from tuition fees as difficult as it is, they would not be able to survive until the end of the year if they gave sort of full tuition fee refunds to every student. So I think the conversation around tuition fee refunds is very much directed on the government and what the government can do to support universities. If the government decided to give universities whole massive set of spending to be able to go into next year but also provide part tuition fee refunds they would be able to do that but because the government haven't announced any changes like that and they don't seem to plan to there isn't much universities can do because they will essentially go bust and there's not much they can do about it and they do need that tuition fee to keep going which is is a difficult conversation but is sort of the truth of how it's working at the moment.
1: Yeah definitely and I think one thing I really didn't understand when I first came to university and, and even recently was how universities then survived when tuition fees were lower um, because students usually only had to pay about three thousand as opposed to over nine thousand and that didn't really didn't make sense to me and it was because they had that obviously government support and funding beforehand which they no longer have and then that made me realize and made it make sense but from a student point of view where you know it doesn't it doesn't make sense why why they used to be lower um, so I think that government support for universities is really key and perhaps something that's lacked this year especially in terms of Covid in general and the tuition fee debate because it's been very much passed back to the universities as their responsibility.
0: Yeah and I mean since March last year obviously the university has incurred a lot more costs
1: to do with the pandemic There's obviously
0: been extra funding into hardship funds, that investment in the online learning and sort of the software and capabilities to be able to do that. Um, We can't fault, obviously, the dedication and the effort that the academic and professional services staff have shown over the last year. I think it's actually been fantastic. And it's really, really obvious when you talk to university staff about how hard they have been working. Um, So it's a really difficult conversation because to me the university just can't be held to blame for the difference in student experience this year that external environment has entirely dictated what is possible for us to do it is the government in my opinion who needs to address this inadequacy in the student experience and in what students have been receiving this year whether that's through compensation whether that's through um sort of like additional financial support in this year to come where students are going to find it tough Um, I don't know but it is is up to the government to provide that support because it does seem to me that the university is doing sort of everything they can in the parameters of what they're allowed to do. So obviously whilst the conversation is quite a confusing one around potentially who should foot the bill when it comes to tuition fees and sort of the way that students feel they have been treated, an argument can definitely be made that students deserve some sort of refund compensation and um, sort of hardship funding because there has been a fundamental difference in experience compared to what was expected and um, I personally do for the government should put this bill not individual universities but we just want to essentially give you an understanding of these complexities and Jim Dickinson will talk through this more at his event on Tuesday but essentially what we're doing as a students union is engaging with our local MP so we've spoken to Dr Ben Spencer who is the MP for Runnymede and to sort of highlight the need for support when it comes to tuition fees and um, he's written us a response which you can see on the website but we're hoping to have a meeting with him over the next few weeks to discuss the issue further and also talk about some of the other issues that students are facing particularly around sort of private housing and the support for students that are trying to pay rent but not actually living in their properties and also around mental health for students and sort of well-being when it comes to the student environment. We've also written a letter to the Minister of State for universities, who is Michelle Donnellan. Um, you can also read her response on the website. Um, she particularly directed students towards making a complaint, which is something we can talk about a little bit further, but fundamentally is quite a difficult part of trying to address this issue. And complaints can only really get you so far. And so we you can see the response to that on the website. We've also released some information on the website around tuition fees, which you can give, give a read and try and understand some more of the complexities of the situation. And we're also engaging with discussions in the sector. Obviously, there are a lot of campaigns going around around tuition fees, such as the Students United Against Fees campaign. Um, and we're engaging with those conversations and seeing what is being done on a more national level and um, to speak to the government about support for this issue. So if you want to get involved and do something around tuition fees, you can head to our website, we've, we've created an email template for you to write a letter to your local MP to sort of highlight the need for support for students in relation to tuition fees. And there is also a national petition as well at the moment asking government to take action on this issue. Um, so if you are interested in doing some more work around tuition fees in the context, do head to the We're Here For You campaign
1: on the website and find out a bit more about it. I think it was interesting obviously the stuff that was brought up around complaints. Um, yeah. because it's very easy for someone in government to say oh you can make a complaint to you on a university but the actual process is very long um, and it's very difficult for students un- to understand the grounds for the complaint that they have um, even when students approach us and ask do I have grounds for complaint we have to refer to our SU advice centre who who are sort of experts in this field because it is so complex and hard to understand and even as a student you feel like you would have a legit complaint about something it wouldn't necessarily come under the criteria for one and then knowing the difference between a complaint and an appeal um, but I think the general complaints process is very long in itself I don't think it's necessarily the best way forward and it doesn't really give the resolution that perhaps students would hope for and to avoid stuff that shouldn't have really occurred in the first place. Um, So I'm personally not a massive fan of the general complaints procedure, but it's one that's very, very similar across lots of different universities. I feel like there should be better guidance on how they should work and timeframes around them to try and make them a shortened process that students definitely understand better so they know their rights when it comes to complaints?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you say complaints, you think, oh, maybe I can complain because I didn't get the right mark in a module that I felt I was deserved. But that isn't the sort of thing that you can complain about. It's more around the processes that sit around it and whether any of those weren't followed appropriately. Um, You can obviously find out more about complaints on the the website under the advice center. Um, But yeah, it is a difficult one because what you need to do is essentially try and raise it a bit more informally if there is a specific concern you have with your course obviously you can talk to your academic rep you can talk to Alyssa who's obviously vice president of education to find out any more about that you can speak to our advice center and um, you can raise it informally with sort of your head of department or someone that you trust within the department to try and see if anything can be done on a more informal basis because fundamentally if there is an issue with the way that you feel your academic quality is being delivered. You want to try and change that as soon as possible and get action on it so that you do feel you are supported in what you're doing. And so it's really important to raise that directly. Obviously, if that doesn't work, you can then escalate it to a formal complaint. And our Advice Centre will be able to help you with that. But it is, as, as Alyssa said, it is a long process and it is important and it's important that we have the complaints process for situations where students really need it. Um, But do think quite a lot about it before you you head straight into making a formal complaint. Uh, So thank you very much, Ellie, Maya and Alyssa for joining us today. It's been fantastic to have you on this episode of the podcast. That is all for today. Obviously, if you want to join in any of the three sessions that we've sort of spoken a bit about today, you can find out all of the information on the website and just click on the thing that says Academic Rep Conference and it will tell you everything that you need to know. Um, but I for one I'm very excited about the sessions and so I do hope you enjoy them if you head along and let us know your thoughts as well thank you so much for listening today and keep an eye out for the next podcast